So uh, it's finally happened. I, I knew it would happen someday, but it's finally happened. I I left my Bible at home, so uh, I got to read off the Bible on my smartphone, which I'm sure somebody is convinced is the sign of the beast or something. You know, it's one of those signs of the apocalypse. But uh, if y'all can bear it, I'm going to read out read the Bible off of my smartphone. And the other thing that happened is I didn't get slides uh, to James this week, so there's not going to be any any PowerPoint slides. So if you've got your Bible, and if you've got a smartphone, you got a Bible, um, you can follow along with me. Um, we're going to be talking today about how to pray for people you love. Now, I know theologically we all agree it's not like there's a wrong way to pray. It's not like some people's prayers are more powerful than others because they use the right words. That's not what I'm saying. But in crisis moments, we, we pretty much know how to pray. My, my family's going through a, a time of difficulty. My wife's, for those of you who don't know, Carrie's sister passed away this, this weekend. Uh, we've been praying for her for a while. Uh, but please, she sing, Carrie's singing in the uh, second service. Don't say anything to her until after the service because, you know, she wants to hold it together for a little bit longer. But um, as, ta- as hard as the times like that are, it's easy in the sense that you know how to pray. Lord, heal. Lord, give mercy. Lord, give us strength. Provide, strengthen. We know how to, we know how to ask for those things. But what about those in-between times? What about the times when things seem to be going okay? We don't want to be reactive, and that's, that's the way a lot of our prayer, prayer life is, is reactive. I'm reacting to the fact that I might lose my job. I'm reacting to the fact that my daughter is dating a guy I don't like. I'm reacting, not true, that's just a hypothetical example, but I, I'm reacting, <laughs> as far as I know, I'm reacting to the fact that my wife and I you know, aren't talking or, or whatever the case may be. We react to things. Well, how do we pray in a way that's more proactive? And, and that brings up a question. Because prayer, I need to establish this. The Bible's very clear. Prayer doesn't change God. It's not as though you start praying for your child or your spouse or your best friend, and all of a sudden God goes, oh, well, I kind of forgot about him until you said something. Or even, the way some might think, well, I really wasn't going to love him or her, but now that you've prayed for them, I'll love them. God is the same. No matter what we do, God is the same towards us, and towards others. So prayer doesn't change God. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. But the Bible is also clear in some mysterious way. We don't know how it works. In some mysterious way, he chooses to do his work in accordance with our prayers. Our prayers bring about action in his life. I don't know how those two truths work together, that God is sovereign and God's going to do what he's going to do and he's always going to do the right thing, and yet he moves in response to our prayers. I don't know how those two things are both true, but they are both true. And so the good thing about that is when, when our prayers get answered, we know it's him doing it and we give him the glory. And secondly, we get the honor and the joy of being part of his work. It's a, it is a glorious thing when you've been praying for someone for a long, long time and all of a sudden they come to Christ or another prayer that you've prayed for their life gets answered. That is a beautiful feeling. And, and, and we get that privilege. We get that joy. And so my, my thesis today, my, my, my opening statement is how we pray for our closest relationships has a lot to do with how we feel about those people. 
Prayer doesn't change the way God is, the way God feels, but prayer can change us. Prayer can change our relationship with the people that we're praying for. That's why it's important. Prayer doesn't change God, but it does change us. So I think the best way to go about it is to ask yourself, not just what do I want for them, but what does God want for them? What does God want for my kids? What does God want for my spouse? What does God want for my friends, my parents? How do we determine that? One of the best ways I know of is to look at the prayers in the scriptures. I think it's great to look at the prayers of Paul, for one, and we're going to look at two of those today. One of them's in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Paul has uh, some great prayers in his letters, and this is one. Uh, This is kind of a long one. We're going to read it through, and then we'll read the one in Colossians, and we'll break down what he's praying for specifically, and then we'll get to some answers, uh, uh, you know, what some take-home points from these scriptures today. So Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, Paul writes, and he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, I'm not saying you've got to pray like the Apostle Paul, but I want you to look at the specific things he's asking for these friends and just ask yourself, what would it be like if I prayed those things for the people in my life, the people closest to me? First of all, he prays that they would know God better, that they would know God better. A quick question. How many of you would say, I know someone personally who is at least somewhat famous? Anybody here? You got any acquaintances? Okay, a few. Um, so some of you know this, but when, when, I, when I was pastoring in Houston, there was a guy who was the quarterback of our football team, the University of Houston football team named Case Keenum, and I had the opportunity to speak at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event uh, on campus, which was really great. And I met him and I met his girlfriend. Now, they both grew up in Abilene. She had moved to Houston and rented an apartment just so she could be around him. And I asked her, well, how do you like Houston? And she said, I don't like it. I don't know anybody. It's this great big city, and I'm just kind of all alone when when Case is in class or when Case is in, uh, you know, practice or whatever. I'm just all by myself. I, it's just kind of, it's kind of tough. And I told Carrie about that, and she said, we should have her over for dinner. So we finagled a way to find her phone number, and Carrie called her, and she said, would you like to come to dinner with us? And she said, yeah, let me find out when, when Case is free. And she said, well, we don't necessarily need to see him. We're, we're inviting you. And I think that meant a lot to her. You know, and she came. Actually, he came too. We got to know them, and Carrie and Kimberly got to be good friends. Case and Kimberly got married. They all lived happily ever after. Short, you know, The short of the story is I know someone who's an NFL quarterback now which is pretty cool. 
I mean, he's been in my house. They spent Easter with us one year. It was really great. Now, I haven't talked to him in a while, but I know him. If, if he walked in the room, he'd recognize me and I'd recognize him. And it, the, here's, the, here's the funny thing about that story. My kids, whenever Case is playing on TV, I'll say, hey, don't you want to watch him play? They'll say, eh, because to them it's no big deal. He's just a guy. When I was a kid, if you would have said, hey, this guy you know is playing in a football game, I would have been so excited. I would have told all my friends at school it would have been a big deal. My kids just take it for granted. They don't know what a big deal it is to know someone who's on TV because they grew up with it. I think, there's a long way of saying, I think a lot of us don't know what a privilege it is to know God personally. We just sort of take it for granted. Most of us grew up in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we forget what an honor it is that we can know him. We need to pray that for our loved ones, that they would not just know about him, but, but actually know him in a very personal and profound way. Paul prays also that we would know the hope he gives, the inheritance he has promised. Now, hope, inheritance, those are words about future, about things that are yet to come, and yet things that can change the way we live right now. If you were with us for the past month and a half, two months, when we talked about heaven, I'm hoping that helped you understand that what you believe about the world to come profoundly affects the way you live life right now. If you think that heaven is just sort of a consolation prize for having to die, then you're going to try to get whatever you can out of this life because your mindset is going to be, eh, there's nothing good coming. I just get to fly around on angel wings and lounge on clouds, so I better have fun now. I better make money now. I better be successful now. Whereas if you know that the world to come is going to be infinitely better than the world right now, then you're free to give yourself away. You're free to sacrifice for the sake of Christ, knowing that anything you give to him comes back hundredfold. If the people you know, think about this for a moment, the people you love most, if they gained that kind of hope where the, their fondest wish was, someday I'm going to be with Jesus, someday we're going to live in a redeemed earth in renewed bodies, if that became their living hope, it would change the way they made decisions. For instance, when your teenage son gets dumped by his girlfriend, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Would it hurt? Yeah, it would still hurt. But he would know, you know, I'm not going to be 17 forever, and it's not going to be long before I'm not even going to remember this girl's name. It's not a huge thing. We're going to move on. There's better things yet to come. When your, your husband loses his job, when your best friend uh, gets in a fight with her parents, or, or whatever the case may be, they can put things in perspective and know there is a better world coming. There is hope. So pray for them to have hope. He also prays that they would know his great power for those who believe. So here's where Paul does one of those distinctively Paul things. He starts talking about the power of God and then he launches into this, we would call it a doxology, uh, this, this hymn of praise to how great Jesus is, the, the power that raised Christ from the dead, and then God raised him and seated him at the heavenly throne, and his body is the church. You know, Paul just goes on and on, because that's what Paul does. He's Paul, right? If I do it, it's called, you know, I don't know how to land the plane. Right? But Paul does it, and it's Scripture because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, but the prayer here is that his loved ones, the Ephesians, would know the power of God, the same 
power that raised Christ from the dead is ours, is ours. Think about that for a moment. Not to do whatever we want with, thank God. What a disaster would that be if you or I had the resurrection power of Jesus to use for whatever we wanted. We would make terrible decisions, and our enemies would be in big trouble, right? Somebody makes you mad, turn them into a chicken. How about that? No, not to do whatever we want. The power of Christ, the resurrection power of Christ is ours to accomplish all of God's purpose for our lives. The world says, the world looks at us and says, you can't do that. You're not pretty enough. You're not rich enough. You're not smart enough. You're not big enough. You didn't come from the right family. You don't have the right resume. God says, watch me. Watch what I do with this one. You read the scriptures, and one of the greatest things about the scriptures is how God takes underdogs and does fantastic things through them. So just think about your loved ones and think about, what if, what if this one is a Gideon and he doesn't know it? What if, what if she's an Esther? And she doesn't even know it yet. What if, what if he's destined to be Paul and just to lead hundreds of people to salvation? What if, what if this person over here is a Tabitha who's going to minister to people who no one else ministers to and change their lives forever? They just haven't figured it out yet. They need the power of God to lift them out of the mediocrity that they would otherwise settle for because that's what the world says they're destined for and recognize God created me for a purpose, and he's going to equip me if I'll trust in him. So that's, that's the one in Ephesians. Now let's look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So in in this prayer, Paul prays, first of all, that they would know his will through wisdom and understanding. And here I need to go off on a little tangent for a second, because if you're like me and you grew up in church, you can get to have this uh, sort of idolatrous view of the will of God where God's will is sort of like a sanctified version of a fortune cookie or a magic eight ball, where God can be used to help you make the right decisions so you'll always come out on top. You'll always invest in the right things. You'll always take the right job. You'll always go to the right school. You'll always date the right person. But that's not the way God works, and that's not what he means when he talks about you would have the knowledge of the will of God. He's talking about what is God trying to accomplish in me. That's God's will. That's not to say God doesn't care about those other decisions. It's just, it took me a long time to learn this, and and maybe some of you are still in the spot where you haven't learned it yet. When I'm just pleading with God to show me what to do in this one minute little decision, sometimes God's like, you know, honestly, you do whatever on that. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish in your life. If you would focus over here, all that would work itself out. You need to be focused over here. Instead of focusing on whether you should take this job or this job, you should be focused on what I'm trying to accomplish in your heart. 
That's what's more important. That's what's more lasting. So when Paul is praying for his friends that they would know the will of God, he's praying for them to get a a compelling vision of what God's trying to accomplish in them, what God's trying to make them into. And that's what God wants us to have. He also prays that they would live a worthy life and a fruitful life. What does God value? God values above all else. He he values people. God didn't die for institutions. He didn't die for money or land or concepts. He died for human beings. And that's the fruit he cares about. He wants to see us live the kinds of lives that impact other people in a positive way. So when you pray for your loved one and you say, Lord, just make her fruitful, make him a fruitful person, what you're saying is, I want, to, I want him or her someday to hear people say, I owe you so much. You taught me so much about life. I wouldn't know Christ if it weren't for your influence. I know you've, in, you've inspired me in so many ways to be a better person. That's, that's what we want our loved ones to hear from others. And that's what will happen if they live a fruitful life. They'll live a life that impacts others in a positive way. Have you ever experienced that? Has anybody ever said that to you? Something like that? You, you impacted me. You influenced me. It's a powerful thing. It's a very motivating thing. He also prays that they would grow in their knowledge of God. That's the only thing these two lists have in common, that they would grow in their knowledge of God, which should tell you something about how important that is in, in, the, in the mind of Christ. I was reminded of something this week. I, I finished a book uh, it's, the title of the book is just With, just the word with, by a guy named Sky Jatani. I'll spell that for you if you're a book person and you want to read it. J-E-T-H-A-N-I, Sky Jatani is his name. And his whole thesis is most Christians spend their lives trying to get something from God or trying to do something for God when really the point is to just know Him, to just do life with Him. And so much of our religious environment is all about, well, what have you done for God lately? Or how much have you contributed? Or, or uh, what is God doing for you? And, and how can I get him to do what I want him to do when God is there to be enjoyed and loved and to experience his love? He wants, Paul wants his Colossian friends to, to experience that, that fruitful relationship with him. He also prays that they would be strengthened for endurance and patience. Now, here's the part you're not going to like hearing. First of all, endurance. What is is endurance? Endurance is the opposite of quitting. Endurance is the opposite of weakness and despair. Endurance is when you're going to keep doing what needs to be done, even when it would be easier just to stop. Uh, Patience. Patience is not, in this time, in this context, it's not talking about that feeling where you're standing in line at the DMV and you don't lose it. That's, That's a different kind of patience. This kind of patience is the ability to put up with difficult people and keep on loving them. Now, I know you don't have any difficult people in your life, but the Colossians, they had difficult people in their lives. And Paul was saying, I want you to be patient. I want you to be long-suffering. I want you to treat them the way God treats you. But here's the point you're not going to like, okay? Isn't it interesting? Paul knew that his friends were going through something that required endurance, something we don't know what, where they were tempted to just quit. He knew they were going through times where they had to have patience with difficult people. But notice he doesn't pray, Lord, deliver them from their difficult circumstances and pour out judgment on those difficult people. He doesn't pray that. 
Paul doesn't pray for their circumstances to get better. That's all we ever pray for. Most of us. Lord, heal me of this illness. Lord, give me a job. Lord, provide for me. Lord, bless me. And that's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray those things. Maybe Paul knows something we don't know. Maybe Paul knows that what's more important than when our circumstances change for the better is how we respond when they're going bad. Let me say that again, because it's not the way we typically think. Maybe, I don't know if I can say it again, maybe it's not so important when our circumstances change for the better as it is how we act while they're going bad. So that, I think that's why Paul prays this way. He prays that they would have endurance and patience. And maybe we should have that too. I heard someone say once, a missionary said that, you know, he spent most of his life in the third world. He said the difference between third world Christians and American Christians is Americans pray, Lord, please remove the suffering from my back because it's too much. And third world Christians pray, Lord, give me a stronger back so I can bear this suffering. And that was really humbling for me to hear. So the last thing he prays for his Colossian friends was that they would give thanks joyfully. Isn't that interesting? He prays that his friends would be thankful. So in a way, he's praying that they would have things to be thankful for, but even more, he's understanding thankful people are happy people. He's praying, Lord, help them not to complain. Help them not to look at the negatives of life, but instead to be thankful for what they have because then they're going to be joyful people. So how do we apply all this? You know, the point of all of this is how do we pray for people we love? So here's, here's a few different applications you could use. One, you could pick one of these prayers or another in Scripture and just pray it verbatim for one of your loved ones or for all your loved ones. I've done this before where you actually have the Bible open in front of you and, and you pray that prayer for your spouse or for your kids or for whoever it is that you're praying for. And, and I know as a Baptist, I've grown up, with this kind of subtle message, hey, pre-written prayers, you shouldn't use those. That God likes a prayer that comes from the heart. I don't think God's offended if we use the words of someone who knows more about God than we do or is better with words than we are. And I certainly don't think he's offended when we read back his own words to him. <laughs> so it's a good thing. You can, if you're, if you're this kind of person, you can paraphrase. You can take the scripture and you can say it back to God in, his, in your own words. And that, that's a useful way to do it as well. But yeah, you can pray the scriptures back to God. That's one application. Number two, you can read these prayers and say, of all the things he prays, what do, you, what do I think God is trying most to accomplish in my loved one? What, what, is it, what is it that I've read here that really resonates that I think, you know, if Paul was praying for my, for my brother, or my coworker, which of these things would he pray for them? Does, does he seem to lack purpose and direction? Then pray that he would know God's will for his life. Is she under a lot of stress? Pray that she would have endurance and patience. Is he kind of a complainer? Pray that he would give thanks joyfully. Is she in a time of transition right now? Maybe she started a new school or started a new job. Pray that she would have God's power to do great things. You can you can use these prayers not just verbatim, you can use them as cues, as clues, as hints. Hey, I've never thought of praying that for someone. Let me try that. Here's another one. If you're good with words, if you're, if you're one of these kinds of people, which I am, write them a note telling them, here's how I'm praying for you right now. 
By the way, don't make that a passive-aggressive thing, all right, where you're writing them a note saying, you know, honey, I'm really praying that you'll do better at cleaning your room. You know, sweetheart, I'm, I'm really praying you'll be more patient with me and we won't fight as often. That's not what I'm saying. But it's easy, and we do this a lot, to say, hey, praying for you, buddy. But how much more meaningful would it be if first day of school, let's say, you gave your, your child a note that said, I'm praying, I know you're worried, so I'm praying today for courage for you. I know you're dealing with a difficult relationship with one of your teachers or with somebody in your class, so I'm praying for endurance and patience for you. How much more meaningful would it be if they had something they could stick in their Bible or stick in their back pocket and just remember, I'm being prayed for in this specific way? That would build their faith because then they get to see how that prayer comes true. But it would also be a real sign to them of how much you love them. That's a, that's a meaningful thing. So uh, fourth, most of all, remember the one thing that's in the list two times, pray that they would know God better. This is the number one thing we should pray for our loved ones, that they would know God better, that they would know him personally. One of the things I, I just feel moved to pray for my kids is, Lord, just teach them to fall in love with you. If you're raising kids, we cannot make our kids come to faith. And I hate to say this because it might, it might discourage some of you, but it's true. Just getting them into the baptistry is not the end game. That's a great day when you baptize your kids or you see your kids get baptized. That's a great day. That's not the finish line. You realize that. Because most of our kids are getting baptized when they're 8, 9, 10 years old. They still need to develop a faith of their own, a walk of their own. For me, that happened when I was 16, and it suddenly hit me. I'm just going to church because my parents make me. And all of a sudden, I just realized I need, I need to start following Christ for myself. That's something that needs to happen for our kids. That's something that needs to happen for other loved ones in our lives. We need to pray that they would know God better. Because long after whatever present crisis they're in is past, God will still be there. He's the only eternal thing in their lives. They're going to spend all of eternity, Lord willing, knowing Him and knowing Him better. So now's the time. Now's the time to experience that life. So for most of us, this would be a whole new way to think of prayer. We have just been taught somehow to think of prayer as our opportunity to negotiate with God for the things we want. That's not really at all the scriptural model. That doesn't make sense theologically. Instead, the Bible tells us, yes, God moves in response to our prayers, but our prayers don't change God. Instead, our prayers are an opportunity to be changed in his presence. And here's the thing. You start to put more intentionality into your prayers for your loved ones, you're going to love them better. Because here's the thing. When you're praying for your spouse to be encouraged because you know she's down, it changes the way you act. You start to try to encourage her more. When you're praying for your child to have patience, you start to move in their lives to reinforce that. Your prayers don't just change them, it changes you. This is a worthwhile thing to do. Try it this week. Try, think about the people who are most important to you and think, how am I going to pray for them this week that is more intentional, that is more biblical, not because it's going to make answers come more quickly, but because it's going to change me and it's going to change our relationship. And then let me leave you with this and then, then I'm done. What if Paul was your best friend? What do you think he'd pray for you? 
What if Paul was writing first uh, Ephesians 1 or Colossians 1 about you? What do you think he would include in that prayer? Obviously, he'd pray that you would know God better, but what else? What are you going through right now? What do you think God's trying to make happen in your life? Well, let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I lift up my friends here. I'm so grateful for them. I thank you, Lord, for their devotion to you, for their desire, Lord, to love one another better. And now I pray, Heavenly Father, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would see the riches of the inheritance that you have for us, that we would get excited about the plans you have for us right now, that we would have strength and the power that raised Christ from the dead to accomplish everything you've placed before us, that, Lord, we would have endurance for the difficult times we're going through and patience for the difficult people we have to interact with and the ability to love them the way you love us. Lord, most of all, I pray that we would know you better, that our hearts would be softened, and, Lord, that we would just fall in love with you all over again. Lord, that we would walk worthy of you and live fruitful lives. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.